Thank you, choir. That's beautiful. As they're uh, being seated, I just want to tell you why we do the surprise box. It's not something like a a test to see if I am a good pastor and I can think on my feet. Maybe it is. Maybe other people have uh, decided that. Uh, What we're doing with the surprise box is taking things that kids think about and teaching them about God. And really, um, if that's all your kids are getting in their whole week is me sitting up here fumbling around, it's not good enough. Uh, But the reality is that's what being a parent is and a grandparent, right? Is that you're talking with little people about whatever they want to talk about. And uh, it's talking about things in life. Rarely at home do you get uh, teachable moments on the calendar, you don't get that. I don't know if you've noticed that. That those things just sort of happen. Uh, they happen in the minivan. Uh, they happen when you're going to bed. They happen at the dinner table. Uh, they happen while they're supposed to be doing their homework. It, it, they happen at those sort of times. And I just encourage you to uh, realize that, that those surprise times are your surprise box time. And to really connect the dots of saying... How can I use this moment for God's glory to instruct my kids? The reality is, uh, sometimes we're real concerned. How many of you want your kids to read? Okay. Uh, Do math without using their fingers from time to time. Um, I I want those things too. Uh, I want them to know a little bit about science because you can't make a good barbecue rub without knowing something about science. Um, we want, to, we want them to know those things, but uh, in reality, the most important thing for them to know by the time they get kicked out of your house is that they would know how to, how to know God and to incorporate that into life, life, not just uh, be able to check off some boxes for answers. We'll talk a little bit about that today, but life and God mix for them and that they remember those things. Just encouragement for you as parents and grandparents, neighbors, any, any, any opportunity you get with a child, you should take it, any one of them. So don't wrestle them down or anything like that and drag them off the streets. I think you'll get in trouble for that. But turning your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And uh, if you would stand in honor of God's Word... Um, I want to tell you about this whole standing thing. I don't know if... Uh, some of you have been raised in a Catholic church, and you're, you say, we don't stand near enough, stand and kneel and do, do those things. But uh, we don't stand uh, by way of uh, tradition or anything like that. Uh, there's really a model of this in the Old Testament. Nehemiah, uh, they stood for hours. They stood for hours reading God's Word. And I think it's just a helpful reminder uh, that as we come together, that God's Word is important. We may not stand all the time and don't think I'm going, you know, weak sauce on you or anything like that. But just know that uh, it is one way for us to remember the importance of God's Word. I'd like to read to you Colossians chapter 1, the first half a chapter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, 
since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you uh, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your spirit in the in the spirit your love in the spirit and so from the day we we heard we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of god May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience and with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share an inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know why I always pray now? (laughs) It's because this is God's Word, and uh, I know how to read. I know English words, but to know God, I need His help. I need His help, and so we, we pray. God, we ask that You would guide us and direct us this morning, and that Your Holy Spirit, who inspired this passage, would be our instructor now. Uh, We ask that You would... Mark us and change us. We ask that you would be honored in our time and give us attention to your word that you might stir us up and use this time to reform us into what you want us to be. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, the title of my message is A Life That Pleases God. A Life That Pleases God, Our Lord. And and sometimes when we hear that discussion of a life that pleases God, some of us immediately go into pleasing mode. Uh, we're people pleasers, and so we want to be God pleasers, and we have have our lives and our actions contingent upon whether people like me. They don't like me because I didn't do this. And so now I'm going to. And and once I do this, then they're going to like me. And some of you who are more theologically astute said that's wrong. God doesn't like us from that. In fact, we have parts of the scripture that we know that God is pleased with us apart from anything that we do. Anything that we do. Maybe you could think of those in your own mind right now. Where do you know? How do you know that God is loving towards us and he is pleased with us apart from anything that we do i think of the book of genesis chapter one you remember what he said there when he he was done with creation he said it is very good is very good he looked at creation and, and and who was there adam and eve right they were his creation as we are you know it makes that connection over and over again in the bible that we were 
created in His image and likeness. And that's what it says in Genesis 1 of Adam and Eve, that they were created in His image and likeness. And so we know that we are very good. We are very good. And that He is pleased with us because we are His creation. I also think of His love for us and His care for us. Does anybody know any places where it talks about that God so loved us? I was thinking about that this week, right? He so loved us. And, and it says in there that He so loved us, all who were good and all who were doing things that He liked. And no, it doesn't, does it? John 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world, the world. And you go, how could He love the world? Hasn't He ever been here? <laughs> and yet He has. Yet He has. He knows. He's intimately acquainted with this sinful world. He knows what goes on here. He knows our hearts. And apart from us loving Him, what does it say? He loved us. He loved us. I also think even of our own salvation. And really the book of Ephesians as well as Galatians. I I, I was thinking of Galatians 4. Verse 4 says this. Excuse me. Uh, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive what? Adoption as sons. Adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent you the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir God. Wow. Wow. That passage tells us that we go, we go from being <clears throat> an orphan, an orphan to an heir, to an heir. And it doesn't say anything about me doing anything in there. In fact, the only thing that says anything about being done is that Christ had come for me. That he loved us apart from what we have done. So how does this fit into Colossians chapter 1, Kevin? How does this all fit together? A life that's pleasing to God. A life that's pleasing to God. I think about that and I was thinking through our message that we've already done. This is Paul's message, right? Paul is writing to this church. It's kind of Paul's message, right? Because of inspiration. It's what Paul wrote. He wrote it in his own hand. He 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 used language that he uses, but the message was inspired by God. It was inspired by God. So it's Paul's message, but and it's to God's people. These are people who had come to know Christ. We realize that uh, even in the verses just prior to that, his relationship with them is through um, it's through the, their testimony that it's kind of filtered out to where he was. He'd heard of their faith. He'd seen the product. And so now Paul was concerned about them and he cared, cared for them, prayed for them because he realized that they were brothers and sisters whom he never met. And so as Paul is writing this letter to uh, God's people, he wants to write to them and encourage them about some things. We're going to plow through those in the months to come. Remember that... Uh, there's a sense in which uh, that's true of all of us, is that we are a church in an insignificant place, that people may not know us. There's not a sense of us being the, the center of the universe by any means. Uh, 
And yet we have relationship through the gospel. And so Paul praised God. As he had seen what had happened there, he praised God for what God had done in them. Today we are going to ask some of those same questions. Those same questions of what does it mean to please God now that we know Him? Now that we know Him. And this morning as as I'm sharing this, I, I want you to know that we as a church, we're, we're never confused as we gather together that there are some maybe not on the same page with us. And some kind of checking out what that Bear Valley Church is all about. If you don't know Christ here today, I, I want you to listen closely to what it's like to know Him. To know Him. This is not a list of things that you can do to please God because we can't please God. There's a sense in which apart from Him doing any work in us, we can't please Him. And so as we go on, you'll see that these are things that come out of our lives once He has changed us and really by His power then as well. Paul says, uh, as you look down at Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at this morning verses 9 to about 12. And uh, then we'll pick those last verses up through 14 next week. This section, he is praising and thanking God for what he has done. And then he talks about some specific things that he wants to pray for them about. Some specific things that he wants to talk to God about and has been talking to God about them. He says this, he has not ceased to pray for them. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That's when you know people love you, right? They don't cease to pray for you. Over and over again, they're thinking about you. And it's so it's such a challenge to my own pastor's heart to say, this isn't Paul seeing these people week to week. This is people from a distance that he never met. He'd never met. And he's praying for them as a church. And he's praying that good things would happen to them. And he says, I, I haven't ceased to pray for you. I haven't ceased to bring these issues before God. It's hard for us sometimes because we think that uh, if you if you want to help somebody, what do you do? You go to them, you serve them, you clean their garage, you do their dishes, you bring them a meal, you send them money. You you think of all the different things if you really want to help somebody, and yet what does Paul say? He says, I've given you, I'm doing for you, I haven't ceased doing for you the most precious thing of all, to pray for you. And I haven't ceased doing it. It's not a one-time thing that I've done. And he's asking for really two things, and he's going to go into details on the second one. But he says, he's asking that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I thought about all those words coming together. And what is he saying? He's saying that that they would have spiritual confidence. Spiritual confidence. And when I say spiritual confidence, it's not something where they're going to they're gonna go through a 13-week series where they can do public speaking or something like that. But it's to sort out life. You think about it, and many of you who have just recently come to faith, you know about this, right? There's an old life, right? Remember the old life? You remember? You spent every day of the old life that you had, right? You made all kinds of decisions, right? Some were somewhat successful. Others were disastrous, right? 
You remember the disastrous ones. You go, yeah, I have scars to show it. You know, I see them. He says, he says, I want you to be able to confidently live as gods now. And he says, that takes some, that's tough to sort out, right? Because of the old life, right? The old life, you made all kinds of decisions. And yet those led to death. And he says, now, he says, I want you to see clearly with all this spiritual wisdom, discernment, to know God's will and to say, that this is definitely what God has for me. That's hard sometimes, right? Because of the old life, right? Old life, we got all these ideas and thoughts and opinions. I've been raised a certain way. I, you know, I was in this certain field. I had this career. This is the way we did things. That's great and all. But now you're something different. And he says, I pray that you would be able to really see with the eyes of God this life that you are living. To have a confidence in God's will. And remember, this is for believers. You, you know, we, I, I want to be real clear with you. Valley Church, we don't want you to act like a believer. You know, if you're not a Christian, I'm not bothered by that at all. I, there's no sense of uh, me wanting you to clean up or anybody wanting you to clean up to come to church, okay? I just want you to be who you are. And we want to share with you that there's a message that if you trust in it, that there's a Jesus who loves you and cares for you, even as I shared with earlier that He'll take care of whatever problems you got. He will be the one to fix you and remake you and reshape you. Not in the image of any one church or people, but He will take care of that and what He wants you to be. And so He prays that they would be able to see and be able to really understand God's will before them. And the second thing He says that He's praying for, He's interceding for them about, Look down at it. It's at uh, verse 10. Wisdom and understanding, and it kind of flows together with verse 9. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's tough, isn't it? You know, the idea that we would somehow be worthy and pleasing to Him, right? That's where I get that word, pleasing. That we would be living the life that He wants out of us. That He would look down upon our life and He'd say, That's the life I saved you for. I'm pleased. I, I, I see that as, as that's a walk worthy. That's what I've saved you for. That's super important for us to think through. As you think of your own salvation, you live an old life. You, you're involved in sin. You were really enslaved to sin. And Jesus does this amazing work where He saves you so that you can go back and do all those sins over and over and over again and it doesn't matter anymore. What? The life that wrecked you, He saves us from. He saves us from. And so there's a sense in which part of our salvation is that we would never go back to the sins we once did. Never go back. It's not that we won't ever fail again, but this is the life that He has saved us for, a life where we see through His eyes and that we walk in a manner worthy and we are pleasing to Him. We are pleasing to Him. I know that's hard to distinguish even um, as opposed to the life that I talked about before, right? That 
He, we know that He thinks we are very good because of our creation. We know that He sent Jesus because He loved us so much. And for the believer, that He even gives us an inheritance, an adoption that is apart from who we are. So how do we please Him now? What, what is that all about? I want to stop before we move on and uh, really focus in on the idea of pleasing Him. Pleasing Him. That stands out to me because most of the time, the filter that I run life through is not what would please God the most. What would please my Lord most in this decision? What do we think about when we make a decision? What do I want to do? What will please me the most? I don't like it. That's the verdict, isn't it? Right? I don't like it. Bam, it's gone. Right? You don't like a job? I don't like it. I got to get another job. You have a meal here at the restaurant and you bring it, they bring it to you and how's your meal? I don't like it. Take it back. Paying big bucks for this. And it stands in stark contrast to what this passage is talking about, right? that our lives would be pleasing to Him. That we would walk in a manner that's worthy, not worthy of our own ideas and thoughts, upbringing or what, but worthy of Him. And so He, I see this as so different than the way I think. And so needing for me to uh, reevaluate what goes through my mind when it comes to decisions. I asked the question in my own life, what will this look like? What will this look like? And, and one of the, the toughest thing about our world is multiple choice tests, right? Because they train us to guess and to hope. Uh, how many of you have your driver's license here? Uh, I don't know why, but I had to retake my driver's test this last year. I had a different license and for driving this, and I had to get another one, and it lapsed, and so I had to go in and take the test. How many of you, does that make you nervous right now, even as I say that? You know, you don't know that water and chicken feathers are the only things that can go out on the highway. You don't, you don't know what point whatever is, uh, blood alcohol content. You don't know all those things, and it makes you nervous inside. But let me ask you this question. Just because... You have passed a driver's test. Does that make you a good driver? No. In fact, you could point out some people that aren't good drivers that have their, hopefully not in this room here and don't point fingers and stuff like that. You see, we can pass tests all we want. We can get the right answer. We can even guess. We're good guessers, you know. We, we come to something and we go, it can't be that one, can't be that. It's got to be a C. It's got to be a C. It's always C. It's always C. When you don't know, it's always C. All the above. There you go. You always got to be dangerous about that because all the above, it's, it sounds too inclusive. Um, you think about that and you think about how much of life is just spitting out the right answer. Right? You say, well, I, I, I've been at church a long time. You know, I, I do a lot of things. I'm involved in a lot of stuff. Gone to a lot of Bible studies. I'm doing a lot of things. God must be pleased with me. He must be pleased with me. Doesn't He see my credentials? I have a long resume. 
I, I got a lot of things going on here. And yet, the picture here of a walk worthy, as well as a life that is pleasing to God, it's not just getting the right answers, it's being the right person. And these things that we're going to look at, there's four of them, that will talk really about the character of one's life, what will show in a person's life if God is pleased with them. And I, it's a challenge. It's just easier. It's easier to fulfill a resume, right? It's, it's easier to get a lot of things checked off, things you've done. But to really be in relationship with God that His life is flowing out of us, that's a different deal. The first one is this bearing fruit, bearing fruit. We already saw this in the verses prior. Um, he said, he, he said, if you look up at it in verse 6, which has come to you as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing. What is bearing fruit and growing? The gospel is doing that. And so he connects that with the life of the believer and he says, if God's working in you, that gospel will be in you bearing fruit, bearing fruit. You think about what he's talking about. What does that mean to bear fruit? I think that most of us would go right away to people being saved around you through the gospel, right? That's a good idea. That's something that's definitely true of real ministry. There should be people, not necessarily in this church, possibly, but through the ministry of this church, through us as people, People being out in the world at our jobs, schools, families. There should be people because of interaction with us that come to know Christ. It's true. You say, because you sat them down and shared the gospel, you could be standing. It's not a one session thing necessarily. It could be over time, little conversations here and there. But the idea here is that we would be people who are bearing fruit but I find it interesting. How, do, how is it stated here? Look down at it. Bearing fruit in every good work. In every good work. This is not just in the idea of some people coming to faith. It's not just when we're purposed about sharing the gospel. Definitely there. But in every good work. Where do those works happen? Where do those works happen? Where do you think? Where do you think they happen? Do they happen at work? They better. <laughs> they better. If they don't happen at work, guess what? No one's going to want to come to know Jesus. No one. Because they say, oh, it's just a, you know, it's this fraud thing. You're one way at church, you praise, and God's so good, and then you go to work, and He doesn't come to work at all. God's, you know, omnipresent, except at work, except at work. He doesn't get to come to work. Where else? I think about school and I go, oh man, school. I always like to talk about school because it's easy now, right? I don't go to school anymore. When you think about that, what a tough environment, huh? You students know about that, right? There's a relationship you have with a teacher, there's a, it, are good works flowing towards that teacher, not based on getting a better grade, but treating them as a soul. The same ones that God created is very good. They're one of them as well, right? God so loved the world. Guess what? That might include them, right? If God would do a work, that they would be a fellow and joint heir with you. 
the gospel of God. That's a powerful relationship. You need to look at your teachers that way. Your peers, the ones you're sitting next to, the ones that are annoying, the ones that are perverse, the ones that are aggravating and even competing with you. Guess what? Those works should flow that way. And, and the idea being that that we as God's people would be through the things that we do, even more than the words that we say, that that would be effective. It would be bearing fruit. I, that's one of my favorite things to talk about. I've talked about it since I've been back. But you know if it's a good fruit tree, right? You know the difference between a, a, a great zucchini plant and one that's not, right? It's what it produces, and we need to know and we need to be honest. Is our life producing something? I hate to move on. Um, I need to, though. What about in our marriage? What about in our marriage? Does your spouse see what God has done in you, the, the fingerprints of God that He has done a work in you by the way you treat Him? Oops. Sorry. Sorry to ruin a good Sunday morning with that. Add to the mix. How about your kids? Do your kids know how great God is by the way you treat them? You see, there's this powerful thing that happens, and it's called the Lordship of Christ, where He just takes over. He just takes over. And there's things that you want to say, well, I'll let Him touch this. He's not going to ask permission. He's going to come in there and the hammer thing, right? Remember we talked about? He's going to reorganize that. And it's good. It's good when He reorganizes your life but it will permeate all those areas. It won't be something where he will pick a corner and will say, well, just take that and you can have the rest. Bearing fruit in good, in good works. The second thing he says, if you look down, these are, uh, these are the things that really he is about doing in us. He is, these are the things that he is working in us as he works on us. And, and as these things are present, he will be pleased in us. And I want to bring this out, but great conclusion coming, I, I promise you. But bearing, uh, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, increasing in the knowledge of God. It's that we would know Him. And this word is the same one where He uses over and over again to talk about salvation. But in this case, it's talking about knowing Him better and growing in that knowledge. And you say, well, why do I need to know more about God? Well, first of all, so we can worship Him. Uh, I think that most of us would agree at the day we came to know Christ, we knew about that much about who God was. We knew that He loved us. He sent His Son, Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and that accepting it, we can get the forgiveness of sins. So we knew about that much. Is there more to know? Yes. The greatness of God. The greatness of God. We're about right here. Most of us are right here. And the knowledge of God is infinite. (laughs) To know Him. And you say, well, why do I need to know more about God? For your benefit. (laughs) For your benefit. I, I hear so often, how come God, you know, something bad happens to one's life, a health issue, uh, uh, something with their spouse or something with their children. And you say, how come God did this to me? How come God is so mean and he's so unloving to me that how come he did this to me? You know what that's evidence of? 
that we don't know God well enough. And, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that if we know Him so well that everything's just going to make sense, but I know this, that once we know God well enough, we will trust in His hand and who, that he, who he is, His character, and that He is loving, even if we don't understand the things that are going on around us. And we won't, by the way. And we won't. That's faith, right? Look at Hebrews 11. It talks about these people who went through awful things their whole life, knowing that God didn't want them to do something else. And guess what? It says they died in faith, meaning that they didn't see. They didn't see. That's why we need to know God is so that we can apply His goodness to our lives, the things that we see, and that we might worship Him more and that we might understand how great He is. You ever have that feeling of wanting to trade God for something else? Some sin? You know God has saved you and He loves you and some sin comes around and you go, mm, I'd rather choose the sin. I'd rather choose the sin. That, that's, that's telling me right there, that's telling me as I do that, that my knowledge of God is weak. If I'd have known Him better, if I'd have known His value, those things wouldn't have seemed good to me. It would have seemed like a poor trade. He says, as I pray for you, I pray that you would bear more fruit and all those good works. I pray that that would be evident in your life. I pray that you would be growing growing in your knowledge of God. The third thing he talks about is he says that he talks about their strength, their strength. Look at this. Once again, looking down at verse 10. Increasing in the knowledge of God, verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. As I read that, I I think about uh, my own weakness. And how many times during my day I, I feel weak, I feel, I, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at showing everyone that I got it all under control. I got it taken care of, no problem, no worries from me. And yet, what does he say will be true? Is that you'll be super strong, right? I pray that you'll be super strong. Look at it again. Be increasing in power, but not your power but His power. And, and this is the thing I was talking about Brandon just before the service. He's talking about the glory of God over there. But I, I find this interesting. That have you ever been around something that's awesome? The power is just awesome. It kind of takes your breath away. It makes you kind of fearful inside. Uh, we went to Yosemite. Not Yosemite. That other one. Yellowstone this summer. And we went to, uh, Yellow, I think it's Yellowstone Falls. Have any of you ever been there? You kind of walk, you just, you're walking forever. You're nervous that your kids are going to go plunging to their death. And you're walking back and forth. And you, before you get there, you just kind of hear this, this roar, this dull roar. And as you get closer, you, it's, it's, it's louder. And they bring you out to the edge of the falls there. And it's just amazing amount of water. And then you can kind of walk over to the edge and you can look down, oh, you know. And it's just amazing. And you go, man, that, that's, that, that, that's power right there. And, you know, if you have any imagination, you think, if I would have jumped in right there, what would that have looked like of a ride down there? 
You know, and you, you feel that power and you're just going, this isn't a little trickle of water. Turn on the cold right side. You know, th- that's not that, you know. None of you went to your sink this morning and go, whoa, awesome. <laughs> wow. Did the job, right? And toothbrush, shaving, it did the job. I, I want you to get this picture and, and it's kind of sobering when I think of my own life. He wants my life to be powerful, Paul was praying for the Colossian church that their lives would be strengthened and they would be strong. But what kind of strength? What kind of strength? His glorious strength. This isn't where God just shows that he can provide. His glory is when he says, I'm here. I want to show my power in you. And I think about that and I think about all the things that God did in the scriptures where he showed his glorious might. No one ever was confused, were they? You know, parting of the Red Sea. Everyone knew that he was there, right? Right? You think of all the different things, things that he did, right? Man, it's so exciting when I read those things in the Old Testament and then I say, wait a minute, that same power is working out its way in the life of the believer. He says, I want that to be increasing in you. That, that's what I want. And not your power. Your power hasn't done so well. But my power working in you. And not just my power, but my glorious might. My glorious might. That's the third thing. The last thing, tying this up, and this is a mark of what is shown in the life of the believer, is thanksgiving. should have stalled this a little message for a couple weeks, right? Thanksgiving, it's coming. But thanksgiving, looking down at God's word again. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance, patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. For all endurance, patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. If you, if you follow that progression, it starts out endurance and patience. Why do we need endurance and patience? Because things are so good. They're so good. I, I find something interesting here, right? Endurance and patience don't lend me to believe that he's talking about God's abundance of pleasures and comforts. I don't think he's talking about pleasures and comforts here. When you're having the perfect time with your family, the perfect time, everyone's there, everyone's clean, everyone's smiling, everyone's healthy, everyone's happy. When does that happen, by the way? Um, But uh, you, you think about where everything's just rolling on all cylinders. You're all healthy, wealthy, and wise, and just everyone's smiling. The birds are chirping outside. All, the, all those things are happening, and you just go, oh, man, everything's great. I'm going to endure this with great patience. <sighs> I, think I, can, I think I can manage. I think I can manage. No, no. So I find it interesting that he says, with all endurance, patience, he talks about those two words. And then he says, with joy, with joy. Most of us have no problem when things are rolling, having joy. But the joy and thanksgiving that he's talking about is when times are tough. Times are tough. (laughs) Happens all the time, right? Happened this week, didn't it? Some of you are struggling with various things, various things. I love it how Paul said in the book of 
Ephesians with various trials, varied colored, just like the rainbow. All kinds of different trials. We're struggling with different things. We need patience and endurance because we want to quit, right? Endurance is the idea of going on when you want to quit. Patience is waiting, right? Waiting. Some of us have been waiting for the Lord for a long time. We've begged Him about some things and He hasn't said no, He hasn't said yes, He's only said wait. And we're like, oh, I'm so tired of waiting. So tired of waiting. Patient endurance. Joyfully. Thanksgiving. And you go, whoa. I'll endure it. I'll be patient, but don't ask me to be joyful or thankful. I want to point out something here. I want to point out something here. Where does the bearing fruit come from? Where does the bearing fruit come from? If you've been to Sunday school, now's the time to answer. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. So where is that that's where that comes from? Okay. Well, bearing fruit. So if that's the first one comes from God, how do we grow in the knowledge of God? Study hard? How does he re- Oh, he shows it to us, right? He works in us. Oh, the the strength thing. Where did that come from? From the gym? No. You know? God works in us, right? He gives he says, I don't want you to be strong like you're strong. I want your glorious might to be in in you. My my strength worked out in you. And lastly, you go, I can't be thankful and joyful. You're right, you can't. So you need God's work to work in you in such a way. That's why God was at, uh, Paul was asking God to make these things true of them. I have a few uh, landing points this morning as we tie up our message. Just some things to kind of review. Some things to kind of tie up and uh, bring to conclusion our message. First one is this. The target of life is to have a life that pleases Him, not us, not us or your mother, okay? And I say your mother because uh, after us, the most important person in the world is our mom. And sometimes our mom wants us to do things that God's not necessarily wanting us to do. If your mom's here today, I'm sorry. This is an uncomfortable time, I'm sure. But it's also not a life that pleases us. And so we need to take that, that filter and that, uh, that idea that says, I am the most important person. I make decisions based on me. And move that aside and remember, the target of my life should be a life that pleases the Lord. Second thing I want to land on this morning is uh, this starts with Christ. This starts with Christ. We cannot do this apart from Christ working in us. That God wants to do a work in us through our salvation, through the Holy Spirit working in us. I hope I've showed that, that these aren't things to go out and check a list. These are things that God produces in our life through prayer and through walking with Him. Obeying Him and through submitting to Him and loving Him. That this isn't just something to do, that this is something that God wants to make out of you. And so start with Christ. Start with Christ. If you don't know Him here today, 
It's probably hard being good. It probably is hard being good. You're struggling and you feel like you just can't be good enough. You're right, you can't. But Jesus will change your life. You want to talk to me about that? Or I know there's others here who would love to speak with you. Please come talk to me after the service. Lastly, this joy, this life. I I love that that word being joyful is in there. Because so often, we as believers, we're depressed about this, that, or the other thing. We are, we're struggling with life. We're struggling with our joy. And I want to tell you that joy cannot be manufactured. It cannot be bought in a pill or a bottle. It can't be found in riches or anything else. It's found in the course of life through a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we look for it other places, we will it'll be hit and miss at best. Mostly miss. And it'll be super frustrating. Super frustrating. Know that joy is found in Christ and in Him alone. Let me pray for us and ask that God would remind us of these lessons this week. Father God, thank you uh, for being able to be in your word this morning. Uh, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that walks with us. We ask that uh, the same Holy Spirit that inspired this word would now um, brand it on our hearts that we would not forget in the week to come, that we would be people who are reminded that this life is not about pleasing ourselves, but is most joyful and most um, rewarding and fulfilling as we do what we were saved for to please you. God, thank you for this time. Be honored in your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.